Well, when I was in high school, I had a friend who lived in a cabin in the woods and drove a motorcycle. That may sound weird to those of you who didn't grow up in Grand Marais. I grew up in Grand Marais, a small town up north, and I had high school friends who lived out in cabins in the woods. That was part of normal life in Grand Marais. And uh, one night, one Friday night, I spent the night at this friend's house in his little cabin in the woods. And I should mention, he lived alone in a cabin in the woods. His parents didn't live with him. Yes, this was an underage friend of mine who lived alone in the cabin in the woods, and I was out hanging out with him. He was a friend who, uh, his family had some, some struggles, and he was going through a crisis moment, so he was living with a friend at a friend's house, and they had like this guest cabin out in the woods. And so I was out visiting him, um, hanging out with him this Friday night, spent the night, and Saturday morning comes, and we wake up, and we want to go into town, and I had been dropped off at his house, and we wanted to get back to town, and this cabin was like 15 miles outside of town, and we wanted to get back to town to play baseball. This friend was a baseball-playing friend. He's one of the friends who got me into baseball and gave me a love for the game of baseball, but all we had was his motorcycle. We had about five miles of dirt road, and then about 10 miles of a freeway to get back to Grand Marais, to get to the baseball field, to play together. And all we had was his motorcycle, and in order to get to the field, we had to bring some bats, we had to bring a bucket of balls, and I had my backpack with all of my stuff, a sleeping bag, and a pillow. And, you know, being dumb high schoolers, we thought, we can do this, no problem. So we get loaded up on his motorcycle, and we realize, you know what, we need our Mountain Dew, and we need our Philadelphia cream cheese bars. I don't know if any of you remember these. They used to make these amazing Philadelphia cream cheese bars. It was like a little, um, like a little cream cheese thing on like a little graham cracker crust. They don't make them anymore, and it just crushes my soul. I love those things. That was our breakfast. Welcome to high school kids in Grand Marais. Cream cheese bars and Mountain Dew. And so we're piling onto the motorcycle and trying to figure out how to do this. We look like dumb and dumber. I'm sitting behind him with my legs just like pinching him because my arms are full of stuff, right? I'm carrying the bucket of balls. I'm carrying the bats. And we're trying to rest my sleeping bag and pillow on my lap. And then we put the Mountain Dew on top of it and the cream cheese bars on top of it. And we're going to drive five miles on a dirt road on a motorcycle together. And so we start going, and the thing's a little bit tippy, but we're kind, of, we're kind of making it, and I'm squeezing his hips with my legs, and we're, all of a sudden we start tipping, right? Like, this isn't going well. And the Mountain Dew topples off. 12-pack of Mountain Dew. That was our breakfast. That was our orange juice for the morning. If you look at the ingredients of Mountain Dew, there's actually orange juice in there. It says orange juice, and so it's legit. But off it goes. Cans break open. We pull over, we stop, we kind of reassess, readjust, decided to leave the cream cheese bars behind because we just weren't going to make it safely with all the stuff that we had on. And sometimes in life, we have to leave stuff behind if we want to keep moving forward. Our ultimate destination was to get back to town, to play baseball. Yes, we wanted our Mountain Dew. Yes, we wanted our cream cheese bars. But ultimately, what we really wanted was to make it to town safely in one piece. And we wanted to go have a home run derby at the baseball field. And so we had to ditch stuff. We had to leave things behind in order to get to where we ultimately wanted to go. And this is true for all of us in life. Sometimes in life, you've got to leave stuff behind in order to keep moving ahead. And that's what we're going to see today in our text, in our scripture text for today, which is Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. So flip there, it's on page 861. This fall, we're doing a sermon series called 
disciples walk with Jesus. And we're just looking at different disciples of Jesus, different followers of Jesus. We're not doing the 12 apostles. We're just doing a bunch of different disciples from the New Testament who I happen to find fascinating. And so it's kind of sporadic. We're not going in any like systematic order through the disciples. We're just, I've got a list of disciples that I love their relationship with Jesus and what we can learn through observing their relationship with Jesus. And we're just knocking one out at a time each and every week. And today we come to Levi. We're going to look at Levi, or also known as Matthew, the disciple Matthew. And so let's look at this story in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32. I'm going to ask that you stand as I read our text for today. The Dr. Luke writes about Levi. He says, After this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. You may have a seat. In this text, our big idea for the morning, we see that Jesus invites sinners to walk with him, which involves a willingness to leave behind everything that hinders our walk. Jesus invites sinners to walk with him, which involves leaving everything behind that hinders our walk. And we're going to dive into Levi, Luke here calls him Levi. He's also Matthew, the one who writes the gospel according to Matthew, one of the 12 apostles. Levi is kind of his Hebrew name, and Matthew is the common name that he went by. Oftentimes, people in Scripture had two different names. Sometimes it was a Hebrew name and a Greek name. Sometimes it was just kind of a first and a middle name. Um, Some of you have, like, you go by a middle name, and you actually have a different first name. And so that's kind of what we see with Levi or Matthew here. Before we get into the specifics of who Levi was and, and kind of what it looked like for him to leave everything behind. I mean, I love this verse right here, 28. It says, And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. For Levi, for Matthew, he had to leave something behind in order to move ahead, in order to walk with Jesus. He couldn't carry and cling on to all of his prior stuff and ways of life and, and, and things in life if he wanted to move ahead. And we're going to dive into that and talk about that. But before we do, I just want to pause and, and, and consider the first part of this statement, which is just so rich in this scripture, that Jesus invites sinners to walk with him. Here's one of the realities that we see in this text is that Jesus calls the sinner over the righteous. I mean, over and over again, we see Jesus doing this. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the holy city, where all these Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees are. He's in the synagogue teaching, but he's not calling the Pharisees specifically to follow him. In fact, in this series, we're actually going to look at some of the Pharisees who did follow him. There are a couple of Pharisees who follow Jesus. And it's a really fascinating thing to study how they follow Jesus and compare that to how kind of these simple fishermen and Matthew the tax collector follow Jesus. That's for another day. But what we need to keep in mind is that primarily Jesus calls the sinners over the righteous. And I put righteous in quotes there because there is none righteous. 
There is an unrighteous. We're actually going to see that in our text this morning. The book of Romans says that there is no one righteous, no, not one. And so Jesus here, if you look at verse 31, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, true, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. And again, we're going to talk about this, but there is no one who is righteous. Jesus here, what, what he's saying is that as I go and as I seek to, to call followers, as I seek to call disciples to come and walk with me, I'm looking for people who are aware of their own sin. I'm looking for people who are aware of their own brokenness. I'm looking for people who are hungry for the Messiah, for a Savior. I'm looking for people who realize that they can't do it on their own. I'm looking for people who are humble and dependent and know their need for me. And Matthew, or Levi, was this guy. Levi tells us here in the text that he was a tax collector. What we know about tax collectors in the first century is that they were despised people. This was a despicable profession. Matthew, or Levi, was a Jew. He grew up as a Jew, grew up knowing the Torah, grew up being taught the ways of Yahweh, of the God of Israel. But Matthew had decided to kind of get in bed with the Roman government. He had decided, Matthew was a, is a brilliant person, a brilliant mind. He has a lot of capabilities. His gospel, the gospel according to Matthew, is one of the most detailed gospels that we have. It incorporates so much of the Old Testament. He knew the Old Testament. He had a great mind, a great ability to remember. And Matthew used his gifts. He used what God had given him for his own selfish gain. See, he was a Jew who was working for the Roman government, taking tax money from his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. And then he would skim money off the top. So if Rome, we were, my wife was explaining it to my kids just yesterday, we were talking about this, and they couldn't quite understand why Matthew was so bad and you know, what, what the problem is with the tax collector. So here was, here's how Brittany said it. She said, okay, so pretend that dad asks you, you owe dad $50 for whatever reason. And so dad says, hey, I need $100. You don't, you don't know the actual amount. Dad says, I need $100 from you. You owe me $100. And so uh, I'm totally screwing up this analogy. <laughs> Never mind, scrap it. <laughs> Matthew, <laughs> she said it yesterday. I was like, that's really good. I'm going to use it. And I forgot it already. Matthew would take money, right? So he would come to his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters and he would say, you owe Rome X amount of money. The real amount of money that they owed Rome was less. But he would say, you owe them $100 and they really owed $50. And then he would keep 50 bucks for himself. And he was doing this over and over again. That's what tax collectors were known for. And everybody knew that they did this. And so Matthew is despised by his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, he's, he's probably, he's very likely a taxer of fishermen. He, he takes tax from the fishermen. And if you remember, a lot of the disciples, a lot of the 12 apostles are fishermen. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, just before Jesus comes on the scene and calls Levi to follow him, he calls Peter, James, John, and Andrew, all four fishermen in the same region. 
This is just like Jesus, right? He takes this despised person who's in bed with the Roman government, who's, who's twisted into this political like power struggle, and he's working for the enemy, essentially. He's working against God's people for the enemy, and Jesus takes the fisherman who hated Matthew, and Matthew who used the fisherman and stole from the fisherman, and he puts them on the same team and says, you're going to now do life together. Amazing. Amazing the way that Jesus takes diversity and takes different thought and takes people from different walks of life and people with different priorities and people with different perspectives and people with different opinions and people with different ways of using their money and people with different ways of like using people and he puts them together and says, we're now going to be family. We're going to walk together. We're going to do life together. And this is just like Jesus calling the sinners to follow him, looking at those who, who are kind of the outcasts of society, those who are pushed away in the society and calling them to get closer, to walk with him. Jesus calls the sinner over the righteous. And you notice the righteous here in this text, verse 30. Culturally speaking, religiously speaking, the Pharisees and the scribes were the righteous. Look at verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? We go to church. We pay our tithes. We do all of our religious duties. And you are hanging out with these tax collectors, these despicable men who are robbing your very own people? Tax collectors were often known for hanging out with prostitutes and having wild parties and using the money that they stole from God's people for their own selfish gain, but also for their own just fleeting pleasures. And here Jesus is hanging out with that person. I want you to see just a couple more examples of how Jesus treats the outcast or the sinner, the tax collector. Look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus also told a, told a parable, so this isn't a real story, this isn't a real thing that happened, this is a parable that Jesus tells us to teach us what it looks like to, to identify as a needy sinner over being self-righteous. Jesus told a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. That's why righteous is in quotes here. Earlier in Luke chapter 5, when, when Jesus says that I, I came to call the sinner not the righteous, He's not saying that anyone is righteous in and of their own. The Pharisees are not righteous. The Sadducees are not righteous. The religious are not righteous. But they may think that they're righteous because they've trusted their works. They've trusted their effort. They've trusted their religious duty. So Jesus tells this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. As we 
follow the disciples following Jesus this fall, we're going to see Jesus calling a lot of sinners, a lot of broken people, a lot of outcasts. Even some who have money, right? Like tax collectors, they, they, weren't, they weren't like um, financially broke. They were often very financially well off, but they were kind of looked down upon in society. They were, they were like the, pol- they were the crooked politician. How many of you want them in your small group? Like the knowingly crooked politician. Like you're taking money from people and, and using people and you're, you're saying you're doing one thing, you're doing another thing with your money. You're a crooked politician, you're a crooked pastor, you're a crooked leader, you're a crooked city planner, whatever it is. This is who Jesus is calling to himself when he calls Levi to come and follow him. And so we need to be a little bit gracious with people, right? Because Jesus isn't out there looking at those crooked politicians saying, how dare you? He's looking out there saying, would you come and follow me? There's always a chance if you would repent and follow me. There's always a chance if you would repent and come with me. Jesus is saying, I'm looking for those who are willing to admit their dependence, their need, like this tax collector here. He's not in the temple saying, God, I'm doing pretty good. I've been giving my time. I've been giving my money. I've been going to church. I've been doing my devotions. I've been doing all the things that you require of me. And I'm not like those fools out there. And he's saying the person who Jesus looks on with favor is the one who says, I'm broken. I'm needy. I screwed up again. I screwed up again. I screwed up again. I don't know the way home. I need to be led. So Jesus gives us this parable. One more example. Look at Luke chapter 19, just one page over. Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Now, this is a real story, not a parable. This is something that happened that the doctor Luke recorded. It says, He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. One more tax collector. As we Consider Matthew or Levi today. Let's kind of lump in with Matthew, with Levi, just this this profession of tax collecting. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich because he had been robbing people. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Surely there had been some rumors among the tax collectors of, of Levi leaving his tax booth, leaving everything, leaving this lucrative job and, and in this community, right? Like oftentimes when you're in a certain job, you build friends and a network with other people in that same line of work, right? And so there's this rumor going through the tax collectors like, what was Matthew thinking? He gave up this lucrative job. He gave up, yeah, yes, we're outcasts in society, but we've got a little club, right? We've got this little huddle of criminals together and we love our life of luxury, sheltering our money, embezzling our money together, having our parties together, feeding the desires of our flesh together. And Matthew has given all that up to follow some nobody from Nazareth. That's the the story that I heard. What did you hear? You heard the same thing? What a fool. And so Zacchaeus likely had heard this story and he knows about Jesus. He knows that there's this man that people are doing radical things. They're leaving everything behind to follow this man. It makes no sense. And so Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Verse 3, And he was seeking to see Jesus, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small of stature. Massive crowd. Zacchaeus is short. What are you going to do? So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. 
for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This was scandalous. For Jesus, a holy man, a rabbi, one who there's this growing buzz that he's the son of God, he's the Messiah, some say he is, some doubt it, the Pharisees don't like him, he's fulfilling some prophecies from the Old Testament. What does he think he's doing going to Zacchaeus' house, the chief tax collector? You're not supposed to associate with this kind of person. A good holy rabbi would not even associate with a tax collector. So, verse, verse 6, So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest, a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said, to the Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Do you see how Jesus has this, this, this heart towards those who are broken? Zacchaeus is a rich tax collector but he has this hunger for the kingdom of God. He knows that his ways have all ended in futility. I've fed my flesh, I've made my money, and yet I want more. And I've heard of this man who's inviting people like me to walk with him. Nobody invites me to walk with him, except for other tax collectors. Like, we have our little unholy parties. Like, we're scum of the earth together, but nobody else wants to associate with us. Nobody else wants to do life with us. And this rabbi, this holy man, this one thought to be the Messiah, the sent one of God, has invited me to walk with him. In fact, he has invited himself into my home. Jesus calls the sinner over the righteous. That's the first thing I, I want us to pull out of this text back to Luke chapter 5 as we think about Levi just wanted you to see how Jesus responds to the tax collector and the sinner and now the sex, the second piece of this is that disciples they they're invited by Jesus to to walk with him right they're aware of their sinful nature they're aware of their need but they also must be willing to leave everything behind that hinders their walk a, a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus is not somebody who's going to say, well, I like what you're all about, Jesus. I like that you're healing the sick. I like that you're helping the hurting. I like that you seem to have a good social ethic and that you may be the Messiah, the sent one of God, the promised Savior of the Jews who, who seems to be inviting Gentiles to follow you as well. I like all of that, but I also like my life. I like my comforts. I like my luxury, and so can I have you, and can I have life the way that I want it? No, see, true disciples don't do that. True disciples know that sometimes you've got to ditch the Mountain Dew if you want to get to where you're going. You can't keep everything that you want and still get to the destination. It just doesn't work. Sometimes you have to leave stuff behind in order to move ahead. And that's what we see in Levi. Look again at Luke chapter 5, verse 27. And after this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
Jesus' invitation to the sinner. Matthew, Levi, follow me. I've got something for you. I've got a new purpose. I've got a better life. I've got more meaning. I actually want to be with you. Nobody else does. You're despised. I want to be with you. Look at his response, verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. This comes after Jesus had already called Peter, James, John, and Andrew in the first part of Luke chapter 5. Look at verse 11. Now, look at verse 10. And so also were James and Andrew, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. So James, John, Andrew, and Peter were all fishermen. That was their trade. That was their career. And Jesus is saying, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. I will give you a deeper purpose. Rather than trying to catch fish from the sea to make money and pay bills, I'm going to send you on a mission to catch souls. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boat to land, they left everything and followed him. Same response that Levi had in verse 28. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Here's what's interesting. Do you know what the Greek word for everything is? Everything. Amazing, huh? You can trust your Bible. These translators did an amazing job. It means they left everything. They opened up their hands and they, they, they were willing to leave everything. And, and in the big idea here, the statement I said that there's this willingness to leave everything behind that hinders our walk. Because here's the reality. I, I love this, that, that Dr. Luke records this. He says they left everything, they left everything. Actually, in Matthew's own account of this, in Matthew chapter 9, so remember, Levi and Matthew are the same person. Matthew writes one of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew tells this story about Jesus calling him from his tax booth to follow Jesus. And Matthew leaves out that he left everything. He just says, and Matthew got up and followed Jesus. I think it's like a little humility for Matthew. Like, well, I'm not going to tell people that I left everything because that sounds kind of pious and like something that a Pharisee would do, right? Luke notices, no, Matthew really opened up his hands and he was willing to leave everything behind. I love Matthew just says, I followed Jesus. I left and I followed him. But part of the question that we have to ask is, what, what does it mean to leave everything what does it mean to leave everything? I mean, it says it right here that, that he left everything and he rose and he followed him. And right here in this context, surely it means he left the tax collecting profession. He had a career change. Now, not all of us are going to have a career change when Jesus calls us to come and follow him. Certainly not all of us are going to have a career change. Not even all of the disciples in the New Testament have had a career change. But Matthew did. He had to give up this despicable career and he cashed it all in. He left everything behind and followed Jesus. But part of what we need to consider is what, like, practically, what did that look like? Some people read passages like this and they kind of misinterpret it and they go into this radical Christianity where they're like, I have to sell everything and go be poor. I got to embrace the poverty gospel as it's called and I got to move to a different country. The only way that I can be a radical sold out follower of Jesus is if I sell everything and I move across the ocean and I tell people about Jesus or if I shun all of life's luxuries, all of life's, life's pleasures, all of life's comforts and embrace Jesus. Some people take 
these passages that way, but I think it's very interesting if you notice what happened next. Verse 28, he left everything. Verse 29, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Levi didn't, at least in this moment, instantly sell house, shun possessions, get rid of food, get rid of help around the house, and cut off his friends. What Levi did was change how he lived. His willingness to leave everything behind that would hinder his walk with Jesus did mean him giving up his profession. He started just following Jesus. We don't know how he made his income from here on out, but he changed how he lived. Levi, whoa, jumping way ahead. Levi left everything behind by repenting, which involved an initial response to walk with Jesus in ongoing realignment of how to walk. See, we notice here that, that it says Levi left everything. That's, that's an act of repentance. Notice in verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous but the sinner to repentance. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus comes on the scene preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent means to turn from wrong ways of thinking, wrong ways of living, wrong ways of doing life. And it's, it's to do a 180. It's to turn and to follow Jesus when I used to follow myself, when I used to follow the Roman government, when I used to follow the Jewish laws, whatever it was for Matthew, whatever it was for Peter, for James, for John, for Mary, these disciples, it's, I used to do life in a certain way. And I'm repenting, I'm turning from that, and now I'm going to do life a different way. And so he left everything behind by repenting, and this was in an initial response. Jesus said, come and follow me, and, and Levi made an initial response. Okay, I've been invited onto this journey with Jesus. I'm going to step out in faith. Not knowing where I'm going, but trusting where he's leading. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold all my things with open hands. For Levi, I'm going to give up this despicable profession. I don't know what's next. But I'm making that initial response. But it's not just an initial response. It's not just saying the sinner's prayer. Or, or doing one radical thing in your life, there's this ongoing realignment of how we walk with Jesus. And this is day in and day out for the disciples of Jesus. Surely Levi had to learn how to walk, right? He had to learn how to change. I, I've been training for a marathon, and as you train for a marathon, you have to learn how to like readjust. There's moments where things get sore, and you have to like fix your posture and fix your cadence and change this and change that. Some of you who are aging, you know, you have to realign how you walk. You have to get different shoes with more padding. Sometimes you get a walker, like your, your walk has to adjust if you want to keep going forward. You've got to leave things behind that you used to be able to do, and you've got to change how you're moving forward. And, and this was true of Levi. So he repented, he had this initial response, but then look at what he does. This ongoing realignment of how he walked, rather than using his home and his money and his friends for his own selfish gain, he opens up his home for Jesus. He uses his money to throw a feast for Jesus and his sinning friends. There's a, there's a repurposing of how Levi lives his 
life. And this is what it means to walk with Jesus. It doesn't mean that we all do the same thing in the the same way. It doesn't mean that we all have to sell off everything and give it to the capital campaign. Please don't do that. doesn't mean that you're less of a Christian if you have a larger house and more financial means and oh how often we we can slip into judging other people by the cars that they drive or the homes that they have or the way that they go on vacation and so Christian brothers and sisters let's not get into judgmentalism of Pharisees saying well at least I'm not like that person spending thousands of dollars on my vacation You, you don't know what that person is doing with their money. You don't know how they're using their time on their vacation. You don't know. What we do know is that a true disciple, a genuine disciple is willing to hold all things with open hands and leave behind everything that hinders their walk with Jesus. And this may mean just just opening up your hands and leaving behind the way that you used to use your time, the way that you used to use your money, the way that you used to do things. Everything is different. Everything is up in the air, it's all willing to be realigned, reassessed, and repurposed for the glory of God, the good of others, and the advancement of his gospel. That's what it means to walk with Jesus. That's what it means for you and I to leave everything behind. It means, yes, we made this initial response to follow Jesus, but it also means that we're willing to reassess and reassess and realign and open up our hands and say, God, what do you want? Where are you leading How will you repurpose my life and my stuff and my time and my hobbies and my talents for your glory? And so this morning, as we think about how Levi did that, I I want us to just consider a couple things. The first one is, are you blown away that Jesus has invited you to walk with him? I mean, don't lose sight of this fact that, that Jesus is walking along the sea. In Mark, it says that he's walking along the sea. He's he's by the sea where the fishermen were fishing, where he had just called fishermen to follow him, and now he's calling Matthew, Levi, to follow him, one who was hated by these fishermen, putting them together. Levi is this despicable tax collector who nobody wants to do life with, and Jesus says, follow me. Jesus calls the sinner, not the righteous, And so I think the first thing for us to really think through this morning is, are you blown away that Jesus has invited you to walk with him? Because we should be. There's this song called, Who Am I? by Need to Breathe on their new album, and one of the lyrics says, Who am I to be loved by you? Um, Nope, wrong song, different song, similar themes. It's called, I Am Yours. And they say, I am yours and you will always be mine. It seems like madness that I'm invited to the table by your side. It seems like madness that I'm invited to the table by your side. Is that how you feel about your relationship with God? Because we should. We should be blown away that God looks down upon us and our our filthy rags and that Jesus has come to walk among us and that he looks at us and he says, I want you. I want you. You know your judgmental thoughts. You know your incapable hands. You know where you struggle time and time and time again. And Jesus hasn't called you into relationship because you're pretty good and you're better than the person next to you. We ought to be blown away that Jesus has invited us to walk with him. In his book, The Imperfect Disciple, Jared Wilson writes, The real you, the you that's on the inside that you try to hide, 
that you try to protect, the you that you hope nobody sees or knows, that's the you that God sees and knows and loves. No, he doesn't love your sin, but he loves your true self. Without pretense, without facade, without image management, without religious makeup, you, the sinner, you, the idolater, you, the worshiper of false gods, that's the you that Jesus loves. The whole point of the Christian message is that God loves sinners. Every other religion has mankind in the gutter trying to figure out how to get to heaven. Only Christianity has heaven coming down to the gutter. In Jesus, God has come to walk among us and to invite you and all of your filth, all of your incapability, all of your failure to walk with him and to learn to day in and day out pry your hands open and say, I'm willing to leave everything behind to move forward with you. Repurpose my money, repurpose my house, repurpose my life, reorder all of my priorities. I want to walk with you. And are you blown away by that invitation? Second thing to consider, what is hindering your walk with Jesus? Is there anything in your life right now that just might be hindering your walk with Jesus? And this isn't like a shame-based thing. In life, there's things that hinder us. You may be holding on to too much stuff. You may be trying to get to the baseball field with a pack of Mountain Dew, and it's like, you know what? Just leave that behind. You got to move ahead. Right now, what is hindering your walk? Are you too busy? Are you always in a hurry? Is that hindering your walk with Jesus? Are you pursuing too much information rather than having intimacy with God? Is that hindering your walk? Do you care too much about what others think about you? Are you putting your career and advancing it above your relationship with the Lord and his people? Has the pursuit of comfort and convenience been too important for you? Are you distracting yourself with entertainment? Are you numbing yourself with food and drink? Are you pursuing an unhealthy relationship that you know doesn't spur on your walk with Jesus? Are you spending your money in just a way that's holding you back? I went to Starbucks this week to study for a little while, and I got a pumpkin spice latte with an extra shot in it. it cost me six sixty-one for sixteen ounces. What? And some people do that every day or multiple times a day. And maybe that's the thing that's just holding back your walk with Jesus. Right? Like, we need to think deeper. What, what is holding me back in my walk with Jesus? What are things that are slowing me down? What are things that are making this walk unsustainable? And then as you think about that, think about that this week, and as you do, then ask this question, what would it take for you to leave it behind? If we can identify things that are holding us back, and then if, if we can start to think through, what would it actually take for me to give this up? What would it look like for me to reorder my life, repurpose my life, realign the way that I walk so that God would have more glory, so that I would have more intimacy with him, so that my life would be a blessing to others, so that I could, like Levi, follow Jesus, holding everything with open hands, saying, I've left everything behind to follow you, Jesus. So this morning, I want to just take some time and reflect on this question. As the worship team comes back up and there's communion packets in the pew in front of you, if you have given your life to Jesus, um, these are here to remind you of who he is and what he's done. 
if you haven't given your life to Jesus, you can make that initial response of repentance today. You're saying, I, I want to give it all to you, Jesus. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that means. But I want to invite you and us as a church family to really assess our walk with Jesus right now and allow the Lord to, to speak into your life about things that might be hindering your walk and what it would take for you to leave that behind. And we do it incrementally, right? There's times and moments in our life where God just smacks us upside the head and we lay it all down and we give it all up and we make a decision to follow him, an initial decision or a recommitment to follow him. But there's also these incremental steps. One of the songs that we're going to sing near the end here is called I Surrender All. And in fact, right before, sabbatic, right before I went on sabbatical this spring, the worship team was singing the song, I Surrender All. And Pastor Ben just said, like in the middle of the song, he said, because he kind of knows, like this is an incremental thing. Sometimes it's too much to surrender it all at once. Like it's step by step, day by day. And he said something in the song like, whatever God is calling you to give up now, just surrender that. Surrender that one thing, the next thing. And I remember I was sitting right there as Ben said that. And that sent me on this journey on sabbatical saying like, God, I just want to surrender the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Whatever is hindering our walk with you, let's take it one by one, day by day. Let's knock these things out because I want you more than I want myself. I want to walk with you and I want to be willing to leave behind everything that hinders this walk. And so let's together spend some time processing these questions. And then when you feel led and ready, take communion, being reminded that Jesus sees you, he knows you, he loves you, and he's invited you to walk with him, not because... Not, not so that he can love you, right? He doesn't want to change you so that he can love you. He wants to change you and he wants to grow you because he loves you. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thank you for inviting us on the journey of faith with you. Lord, it seems like madness that we're invited to the table by your side. I pray that we would find joy in that invitation and I pray that we would obediently keep walking, surrendering the next thing, willing to leave behind everything that hinders our walk with you. In your name we pray, amen.